Welcome back to the Philip K. Dick Book Club. In each episode of this podcast, I look at one of the works of Philip K. Dick in roughly the in roughly chronological order of publication. In today's episode, I'll be looking at yet another posthuman story. Lately, we've had a kind of a series, a bunch of these in a row. Um, this one is called The Chromian Fence. Now, it's, it's post-humanism, but it's in a very different way than some of the other tales. It's not about mutation or ability. It's entirely about technology. So it's, a post, post, it's really a transhumanism, I guess. So let's not even call it post-humanism. This is a story of transhumanism. It's about technology enhancing us or, tra- or transforming what it means to be human. The story was originally published in Imagination in july of 1955 and you can find it in the third volume of the collected stories of of philip k dick so let's um get into it um it's well it's it's not only just about transhumanism and technology but it's about to what degree can we resist it and to what degree is resisting technology morally superior to accepting it and kind of going with the trend right and we you know, I was—I guess I was a late holdout for cell phones, but I guess that's one of the examples. Certainly, cell phones change our way we interact with each other. It changes life in good ways and in some bad ways. And just go on a subway, right? Especially in a place like Taipei where I live, you know, the vast majority of people are staring at screens. And, you know, does that fundamentally change who we are and how we interact? I I think a lot of people, you know, probably are happy that, you know, they're not being bothered and talked to on on trains and in buses. And there's certainly some gender politics to keep in mind there in, in an era where we're very conscious of sexual harassment. But nonetheless, the I do think things like the cell phone change how we interact with each other and interact with the world um, or an example like the GPS right uh, it's another thing I, I didn't do early on now I, I live in Taipei so I don't really drive but you know I now when I'm back in the US and driving I, I use GPS I didn't used to I used to have maps and figure out how to get around by maps you, you really interact with the world differently when you use devices like that so but the question is to what degree should we resist this or should we conform or, or is it possible to conform and of course dick here gives very absurd conclusions it, it reminds me a bit of the story some kinds of life where he's trying to talk about the absurdity of war for resources but he does it by making these really bizarre and seemingly pointless technologies but then having these characters think they can't do without them that's this story kind of is like that Anyway, so we have our uh, Don Walsh. He's reading a newspaper while taking a commute home. And it's a commute disc is what he's writing. Now, he's reading about this upcoming referendum. It's a vo- the vote on the Horney Amendment. Horney. Uh, it's H-O-R-N-E-Y. That's the name of the senator politician who embraced it. 
And then it's about that. And then there's various mob actions between two groups, the purists and the naturalists. The purists are those who want to perfect and purify humanity through technology. And the naturalists are those who don't want that, I guess. The man next to him urges Walsh to support the naturalist by signing the Butte petition, the Butte petition. Um, but Don balks at this and the man accuses him of being a purist. Walsh, though, evades the conversation by getting off at the next stop and basically says he doesn't want either side. He doesn't really agree with either side in the debate. He kind of wants to have a middle ground. He says, I'm not a purist. I'm not a naturalist. You hear me? And then Dick uh, concludes the section saying nobody heard him, right? Which is interesting in this day and age where we have such divided politics and such hostility in the political realm. The people who don't pick sides are maybe the most silent of, of all, right? The ones who maybe are trying to find a middle ground or compromise are the ones who are never heard before. And I, I think when I read that, I was so much reminded of, of the difficult political situation we're in these days. So he's later on talking to his wife, Betty, and his brother-in-law, Carl, and his son, Jimmy. And they're talking about this. And he basically repeats his desire to be above the issues of the day. He doesn't really want to get bogged down. He doesn't want his life dictated by this one issue. And he's maybe he's, you know, there's that, that saying, I think it was Howard Zinn said, that you can't be neutral on a moving train. But, you know, I, I'm a little bit sympathetic to the people who, who do kind of want to sit in the middle of things sometimes. Some issues really are best approached from the middle. Now, Jimmy, the son, is reading Finnegan's Wake, which is really wild. Uh, a, uh, a younger character reading that novel. I don't know if if that Dick's trying to show the advanced education of this society or if he just liked Finnegan's Wake and he wanted to name drop it. It's not the kind of book, if you ever read it, that kids pick up for fun, you know. But Jimmy's a purist. And the purists, we get a definition of purism here a little bit clearer they want to remove all odious traces of humanity using technology and they're fully committed to technological progress in the future carl is strongly on the side of the naturalists that's his brother-in-law so there's this debate in the family so you can imagine kind of this thanksgiving day conversations about naturalism versus purism now what are they trying to get rid of they're trying to get rid of the odious traces of humanity which includes like scent body odor body hair dirt that kind of stuff. And that's where you say, of course, Dick is making an absurd conclusion here. He's, it's not about inintelligence or disability or weakness or obesity. We can imagine technology fighting those things and being useful tools in the struggle against some of those aspects. But Dick's going to the, the extreme, of course, to make the point, as a lot of science fiction um, writers do this. So Carl's on the side of the naturalist. Carl accuses Walsh his, bro his brother-in-law being a quasi-pro-purist for trying to stay above the fray. So he gets the, the speech, you can't be neutral in a moving train. If you are, you're basically on the side of the bad guy, right? Walsh leaves home and see, tell, you know, he sees his robot counselor, Charlie. So he got the robot psychiatrist, which I think is a brilliant and wonderful idea. I, I just I believe people would be more honest with robots than they would with uh, a human being. So the robot psychiatrist is named Charlie. He asked Charlie for advice about what he should do and what side he should choose. And Charlie tells him that he can't stay aloof from his society. Now, Walsh replies, why can't people who want to smell 
smell and people who don't want to smell they can have their sweat glands removed and they don't have to smell right it's not a you know he just again wants to be sort of neutral on that but charlie eventually convinces him that he needs to conform to society that he that he was born into and here's what he says he says they're not your ideas you didn't create them you can't turn them off when you feel like it they operate through you they're conditionings deposited by your environment what you believe is a reflection of certain social forces and pressures in your case, the two mutually exclusive social trends have produced a sort of stalemate. You're at war with yourself. You can't decide which side to join because elements of both exist in you. But you gotta make a decision. You gotta resolve this conflict and act. You can't remain a spectator. You gotta be a participant. Nobody can be a spectator to life, and this is life. And then he says, well, why do I have to adjust? Why do I have to be the one to change? And he says, it'd be silly to expect everyone else to adjust to you, wouldn't it? Three and a half billion people would have to change just to please Don Walsh. You see, John, you're not quite out of your infantile selfish stage. What we're getting here, actually, is the Rousseauian argument of, of the general will, right? That we bind ourselves, we make a contract with society, and that means we do have to take away some of our freedoms and accept the general will when it constitutes itself. And that's the price we pay for the benefits we get from being in society. Now, three days later, we get the news reports that the Horney Amendment passed. This is basically a victory for the purists. Walsh, who has now come down on the side of the naturalist, actually, he does make a choice, um, but he chooses the naturalist. He worries this is going to mean there's going to be purists in power, of course. He tells his wife how this is the end of a long chain of events, starting with simple consumerism and ending with enforced consumption through law and the application of political power, right? So this transition, it's actually talked about here, that you start with a consumer good and as a choice, and then given enough time, it becomes less of a choice, right? And I think he must be thinking about the automobile. That's a good example of this. The automobile at one point was a choice. It was a luxury item. It was something people could choose to do. And then eventually with the interstate highway system and the restructuring of our cities and businesses moving to different places, if you just want to have a job, you need to have a car, right? If you live in a certain places, you need to have it. And everything speeds up at car time, not horse time or whatever other options might be there. So we all have to keep up. And this ends up becoming a forced consumerism. Um, and that's not even through law. Of course, we do have examples of that. Uh, the Affordable Care Act requiring people to buy health insurance. Uh, you know, we have insurance is often something that we're forced to buy through law. But you don't even need that, right? It just becomes absurd not to have certain uh, consumer goods. And the cell phone is quickly becoming one of these things, which it becomes increasingly absurd not to have. You become a target of ridicule. They talk more and more uh, about how the purist movement was taken over by the urban consumerist forces and that it's really a war of the urban over the rural areas. Carl comes in having just accepted some transhumanist upgrades. Carl was, of course, a holdout of the naturalist, but now with the Horney Amendment, he's, he's forced through the law to adapt. So what reforms does he make? Well, he removes his sweat glands. He changes his hair and teeth to perfect them. Um, and he explains that it was a naturalist strategy to stay in conformity with the Horney Amendment. And meanwhile, they're going to organize and go underground. That he's not really fully on board. He's just doing what he has to do to stay out of jail. Police come in and investigate 
the naturalist since the election. The, the investigation turns on Walsh. Jimmy defines, basically calls out his father. So we have a bit of 1984 here, this idea that the children will call out one's parents. He says his father's a quasi-naturalist. Walsh strikes one of the police and escapes. Charlie, later on, congratulates Walsh for finally getting off the fence, for finally agreeing and making a decision. As the police arrive to arrest Walsh, who, of course, is a criminal at this point, Charlie gives him a voucher showing that he was not responsible for his actions. Basically, it's like a get-out-of-jail-free card, you know. Walsh, you know, like a note from your psych, from your shrink that you're nuts or something. Walsh does surrender to his police, who cold beam him, throw him in the back of a police truck, and his body is eventually reduced to its component metals. <laughs> so he does not survive the story at the end. And I guess this was part of the horny amendment that people who hold out to purism are, are going to be killed. But it's that, that kind of get out of jail free card from the shrink didn't amount to much. It just says he's not the, to blame, but he still has to be reduced to his component metals. So this story, um, now by 1955, Dick had talked a lot about posthumanism. Um, often it's this evolutionary kind of posthumanism. But in the Chromian Fence, we have a story that's maybe more directly about transhumanism. Now we've seen this before a little bit in Mr. Spaceship. But and as much as Dick is interested in technology and fierce technology, he didn't do this much. He, he talked about automation and consumerism and you know, technology being kind of bad overall, but the idea of human of humanity changing itself through technology is something he didn't talk as much about. So this story is important as part of his statement on transhumanism. Now, Dick rightfully, I think, places transhumanism as a logical extension of consumerism. Right? We consume, and eventually consumption becomes enforced, and eventually that consumer behavior changes how we interact with the world, who we are, and you know, technologies are consumers' items, first and foremost. Yeah, there are technologies all around us that are part of the system we live in. But the main way we interact with technologies is as, as consumers. So if, cons if technology is changing who we are, it's because we choose to or the market forces us to buy those things. Now, historically, we've had all these examples of people using technology or consumer goods to change odious aspects of, of humanity, fads for hair, hair straightening, perms, the, you know, the, it's a whole industry to get our hair right. You know, the, the massive amounts spent on cologne and perfume and deodorant, all these various hair products, you know, th there must be something here about this fetish to, you know, change we look and the, the way and, and change who we are and to get rid of some ugly aspects of, of who we are right teenagers freaking out about acne or whatever quote they didn't call this is from the story they didn't call it politics back in those days the industrial it's hammered away at the people to buy and consume it's centered around this hair sweat teeth purity the people city people got it and developed an ideology around it dick was thinking about enforced consumerism in the 1950s America. Employers could easily force employees to spend some of their money on makeup and perfume, right? Appearance is indeed often part of employee evaluations, right? And if someone was overweight or someone 
smelled a little bit or someone you know had bad teeth this is could appear in your evaluations and you'd be basically forced to go to the dentist or buy deodorant or do something with your hair or lose some weight or something right which might lead you into the embrace of consumer goods that promise to fix those aspects of your life and how easy how can we resist some of these upgrades in the future cell phones now but who knows what will be in the future right how long till cell phones are simply implanted in people at birth or uplinks or whatever whatever science fiction device you want to throw in the story titled the chromian fence is a reference to walsh's attempt to stay on either side of an issue right he's the one on the fence as he learns in the end perhaps he should have chosen a side first he saw purists versus naturalists as a political froth and he was wrong about the stakes he was wrong about how serious it was he believed he could just be neutral on here. In fact, it is life and death, and it turns out to be that way for him. He didn't read the Horny Amendment because he wasn't interested enough in it. He thought it was just political froth, so he never actually read it. So he didn't know, he seemed completely oblivious of how odious the enforced conformity of the purist was. And when his brother-in-law says, we need to resist this and fight this, Walsh did not take that seriously. In fact, People who don't conform are killed. That's what's, we, that's what's revealed at the end. There is much significant and relevant and potentially devastating that's discussed today in senates and parliaments, legislatures all around the world. And, you know, we need to question, you know, when do we, when is it okay to have a position in the middle? And I do think there are times, there are issues that are best looked at from the middle. But, I don't think fence-sitting is the what I mean by that. I, I think what Walsh does here is he literally fence-sits. Now, I, I think sometimes not choosing a side might mean framing out a third side or, or a different point of view, right? It's not always either or, right? Fence-sitting is at least presented in this story as the worst possible choice. And at least I'll, I'll go with that as far as I am. But I do think, you know, it's not always reducible to two choices. And perhaps we can... By, by looking at it from different points of view or looking at it from the middle, we can frame a, a third option. That might be better. But still, there are serious issues. And as much as we see politics as a game, as politically divided as we, as we are, as frothy as our conversations are, can't is it, it's not true that serious issues are still being discussed and states do have power to affect people's lives for good and ill? We have good reason not to trust the political system, and we often are very well-meaning when we want to be neutral. But as Carl and Jimmy agree, they're on two different sides of it, being neutral is not a sustainable position if the stakes are high enough. And we would have had a very different story if Walsh was politically curious enough to have actually read the Horny Amendment. We have a very much a generational divide on these issues, which is a bit interesting. Jimmy grew up with access to technologies to ensure that people would not have to smell or have greasy hair or bad teeth. And he sees purism as simply progress. From his perspective, no, you won't have to go back to those days before technologies. You know, it's like going back to a time without baths. Yeah, there certainly was a time when you didn't have baths, bathtubs in the houses. But no one wants to go back to that. And why do we have baths? It's because we don't want to smell. So there is a point, I think, that Jimmy has, especially when you grew up without the time before these technologies to think it's just pretty natural to accept these 
it's really brilliant, I think, to focus on personal hygiene. Because um, you know, many people who may say, well, I don't want like the implanted iPhone. Like I think in Futurama, they had like the iPhone literally in the eye, right? I, I don't think, you know, people, people may say, I don't want that, but they might still think, well, my neighbors on the bus smell or, you know, I... You know, my partner needs to lose a few pounds or or maybe, you know, people should use certain technologies, right? Running water and soap are, are good examples of this. And that there, we, we want to enforce a, a certain standard of cleanliness. But we don't always realize that that's also asking for technology and consumerism to, you know, to be applied to improve our lives in some measurable way. At its basic level, eliminating body body order is a mild form of transhumanism, right? As is putting on glasses or whatever, right? So I think by focusing on something that most people agree that we don't want smelly people around us, right? Or we don't want to look at bad teeth all day. You know, he's really testing our values on this issue. Dick is able to expose the dangerous creep of rising standards, not just of physical appearance, but of applications of technology to everyday life. And I, I think it's really well brought together in this story in these, these two themes, Right, because you know the rising standard of physical appearance is something. I don't know if Dick talked about it, but certainly science fiction writers had had thought about this. Um, but also, but connecting this to technology, and and this is an area where we don't often think about that these are technologies like all the shampoo and all the products. But we spend a lot of money and a lot of time caring about this stuff. Um, South Korea, for instance, has this crazy plastic surgery craze. You know, I think people from around Asia actually go to South Korea because there's so much plastic surgery and it's pretty cheap still. But it's, you know, it's, it's nuts there on, on plastic surgery. And everyone's trying to keep up, right? People get graduation presents from parents of like a certain amount of money to spend on plastic surgery. Um, I actually, you know, found a film from 1949 on YouTube, How to Be Well-Groomed. Conformity and personal hygiene, actually promoting that everyone should, you know, invest in personal hygiene products and, and have this basic standard of cleanliness. So it's it's a fascinating way to look at this this issue of posthumanism, I think. And I don't know if anyone else who's who's quite done it this way. So that does it for the Chromian fence. Uh, a really fascinating story. So another one I recommend. There, there's only been a few stories I don't think are of these stories that I don't think are worth, are worth reading, but um, this is one, just because it's unique, so, you know, sometimes Dick covers the same themes, but this is something he doesn't do as much as some others, the Chromian fence. Um, really interesting take on technology and hygiene and conformity and consumerism. So, but um, let me know what you think about these issues uh, or the story. You can just leave your comments below or you know, leave them on iTunes or leave a review there or send me an email at 100pagescast at gmail.com. I'll try to respond to to your comments, especially if you email me. I'll, I'll, I'll definitely respond in an upcoming episode. So I guess that does it. Uh, thank you so much for listening. And I'll be back shortly with another story. I believe it's The Mold of Yancey, which I guess gets us off this post-humanism train for a little bit and, and let's just talk but it's still we're going to talk about conformity so at least it's thematically connected in that way but yeah next episode will be the mold of antsy
Um, thank you again for listening, and I'll, I'll see you next time. Come my tired thoughts once more. That leaving dies, that leaving dies, that leaving dies. 